Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications, recording from New York. And I'm Eli Koaz, Communications Director, recording from Tel Aviv. And we are now here exactly a week out from Israel's uh, Knesset elections. Uh, They happened last Tuesday, and the dust has sort of settled. Uh, We know who's in and who's out. The coalition negotiations, the process of the different uh, parties negotiating over who's going to get what portfolio, what the government is going to look like, uh, has begun. The talks between the party heads and the president of Israel, Reuven Rivlin, uh, began yesterday, and the first time they were broadcast live. And uh, we're starting to see what the next Israeli government is going to look like. We know that Benjamin Netanyahu is almost uh, guaranteed to lead the government, barring any kind of dramatic turn of events that would change that. Um, So I think it bears uh, discussing some of the more specific factors that are going to determine the exact makeup of this government. And one of these factors that I think we can discuss is the role of these ultra-Orthodox special interest parties uh, who increased their presence, had a good showing in the election, uh, plus the United Right List, which appeals to the national religious sector, um, and the demands that they're going to make, uh, which pit them uh, in tension with the kingmaker in this round of election, Avigdor Lieberman, whose Israel Beitenu party uh, appeals to these Russian-speaking immigrants for whom secularism and opposition to the religious authorities is a main uh, campaign point. So, Eli, what can you tell us about the, the tension that's emanating from that dispute? Well, I mean, Avigdor Lieberman, uh, is every, as most of our listeners know, he was the former uh, defense minister, also foreign uh, foreign minister, but um, in the last government, he was a uh, defense minister, and he obviously resigned um, during a, a recent Gaza flare-up when he wanted uh, Israel's response to be more more forceful. Um, and so uh, everybody was expecting, uh, a- like after that, he, there were some signs that uh, that decision may help him in the coming elections, but obviously... Netanyahu, uh, in the last few days of the campaign, really uh, went after all the votes in his right-wing base, and uh, Lieberman managed to survive, unlike uh, some other right-wing parties, uh, like Naftali Bennett and Ayala Shaked's New Right Party, or Moshe Feglin's Zeud Party, two parties that were favored to comfortably, uh, relatively comfortably, uh, be... uh, or cross the the three point two five percent threshold, uh, both those parties fell under, um, and Israel Beitenu, which were actually polling uh, under the threshold consistently uh, during the last month of the campaign, um, they were they may have been over in a few polls, um, but they finished with five seats. Uh, this is uh, Victor Lieberman's lowest uh, or his his worst performance. Uh, in terms of seats, um, but I think he's he, he's probably pretty happy to be in the position he is now. Um, it's likely that Lieberman will demand the defense portfolio and immigration uh, portfolios. Um, I'm not sure they'll get both, but they'll de- definitely get at least one, and it will probably be defense. Um, another is- interesting thing to look at is 
this issue, uh, how he kind of relates and how uh, Netanyahu is able to maneuver between Lieberman and the ultra-Orthodox parties. Um, obviously, a lot of things uh, clash with them, um, especially uh, this ultra-Orthodox uh, enlistment uh, bill, which is a condition of Lieberman's to entering the government. Uh, this is a bill that refers to um, the enlistment to the IDF of ultra-Orthodox uh, so, uh, youth, and uh, it's something that is very important to him, and obviously something that the ultra-Orthodox parties oppose. Uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties do have more seats. They have 16 seats, if you count UT, UTJ and Shas. Uh, but at the same time, there's no coalition without Lieberman. So it'll be interesting to see how Netanyahu balances this out. Right. Lieberman has somehow wound up in a position where this is his worst uh, showing in an election yet. Five seats is the worst performance Yisrael Beitenu has ever had, and yet he's still wound up being the kingmaker. With regards to the ultra-Orthodox enlistment bill, um, I think that he's in a tough spot because he campaigned on this issue. Uh, He attempted to pass this law in the last Knesset. It did pass a first vote. Uh, last year. And I think actually taking what we can take from that is that he knows the limit to which uh, Lieberman knows the limit to which he can push the ultra-Orthodox parties. Uh, They went to this first vote last year and the ultra-Orthodox parties stayed in the coalition. So uh, if he can bring things to a similar stage, he can, you know, turn to his base and say he's tried his best and he's, uh, you know, he's done all that he could do without the ultra-Orthodox parties actually bolting the coalition. Because while on the one hand, Lieberman has more leverage uh, as the kingmaker, you know, with the ability to bring the coalition uh, below a 61-seat majority, because he has five seats, or bring it to 60 seats exactly. Um, on, on the flip side, uh, his showing in this election was only a couple tens of thousands of votes over the threshold. I don't know that he wants to rush back into elections earlier than he has to, uh, given what happened to, you mentioned, the new right party um, to say who parties that were supposed to pass the threshold. Lieberman wasn't supposed to pass the threshold, especially when it's possible that elections could happen soon, uh, relatively soon anyways, depending what happens with Netanyahu's legal troubles and how long he's able to last as prime minister. So I think this puts us in an, in an interesting position uh, regarding the ultra-Orthodox uh, draft bill. Um, there's also the potential, uh, given Netanyahu's legal troubles, Given demands of some of the politicians further to his right, uh, the potential for West Bank annexation to come up as an issue in this next Knesset in a way that it hasn't come up in the past uh, when Netanyahu would have been inclined uh, not necessarily to stop the slow roll of this creeping annexation, uh, but to stop any kind of dramatic moves like Area C annexation or the annexation of the E1 corridor or Male Adumim or another large settlement. Um, where do you see that going, Eli? Yeah, so Netanyahu, he's going to have a tough time. Obviously, the election results were, for him, they were very positive and they were great. Uh, they're the best uh, the Likud has done under Netanyahu's uh, reign with 35 seats. Um, but he's going to have a tough time forming this coalition and he's going to give a lot up and obviously something that you mentioned is annexation. Um, I think uh, his concerns for 
I mean, I think that the issue of annexation kind of uh, will be a bit less prominent in coalition negotiations, only because of uh, Naftali Bennett and Ayelet's new right party, who really championed this area C annexation, their failure to cross the threshold. Um, but obviously, there are most of the Likud party supports annexation, and if you take Netanyahu's remarks a few days before the election, if you take him for his word, which is obviously always with Netanyahu, that's something that you need to think about twice. Um, all the Likud MKs are on record in support of annexation, and on top of that, um, obviously have this united United right-wing party list uh, with Kahanist elements that are obviously uh, for annexation, um, and they've said... Um, or there have been reports, at least, that part of their uh, coalition negotiation approach will be to demand uh, negotiation. Uh, sorry, to demand annexation uh, in exchange for uh, uh, Netanyahu's immunity and supporting some sort of immunity bill. Um, whether that is through a French law uh, giving the prime minister immunity, or whether it's through restoring a law of Knesset uh, uh, immunity that was abolished in 2005. Um, those are the likely options. Um, but yeah, Netanyahu has he's made a lot of promises to a lot of different people within his own, own party, outside his own party. He's going to have a very tough time putting this coalition together, especially with the looming uh, indictment. Right. Indictments, right. I should say. And, and regarding annexation and, and the bargain that he may have to make uh, regarding uh, some sort of territorial expansionist agenda in exchange for immunity from prosecution. You mentioned the people who support annexation. And of course, uh, as you hinted at, some of those uh, pledges of support might be, you know, politicking before the election. But I would also draw attention uh, to the question of who opposes annexation in this next government, uh, because or, or or what is the strength of their their opposition? Uh, because even if you have people who are not out and out annexationists, for whom this is not their central issue, I think a lot of uh, members of Knesset, because it's not their central issue, um, a lot of the members of the Knesset uh, who are poised to be in the next government uh, would be content to allow this to go on. I mean, you have uh, Moshe Kahlon who is on record saying he supports a two-state solution, uh, but given how out of reach it seems, uh, would he necessarily surrender his position uh, in order to stop the annexation of Mali Adumim or large parts of Area C? Uh, Avigdor Lieberman, who is no uh, no Democrat, small-D Democrat, uh, has none nonetheless uh, once criticized Naftali Bennett for trying to create an apartheid state uh, through annexation. But still, given Lieberman's bad showing, would he bring down uh, the government over annexation? And all of these Likud members who said that they support annexation, I don't personally think that it's their main issue for, for all of them. Some of them, I think, I think genuinely do uh, believe in annexation. But would they uh, create problems within their own party or would they disrupt the government in order to stop annexation? I think 
the, the, the real threat here is that you could have a couple of members of Knesset or one small party like the United Right List that wants annexation and everyone just sort of sleepwalks into it and goes along for the ride because that's sort of par for the course. That's what's been happening so far uh, with the idea of creeping annexation, uh, with things like the uh, regularization law that uh, legalized the uh, far-flung settlement outposts. Um, and so... Yeah, given all of that, I, I think that there there's a lot of potential for things to go wrong in the next government simply because people just let them happen because it's not their main issue and they don't want to stray from their main political agenda to to fight this. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And obviously we'll have to see uh, what happens when this uh, American plan, uh, the deal of the century, is released and we'll see how that affects things um if you're asking me to rate the chances of annexation um, or partial annexation i would say that they i still think they are relatively low but again uh that could easily change and uh we'll see um we'll see what happens um you mentioned kahlon uh kahlon who uh I don't know if he's come out against annexation publicly, but I know that behind closed doors he has. Um, he seems like he's on his way back uh, to the Likud. Right, he, he's uh, talked about merging his party back into Likud. Yeah, and the Kahlon, uh, the, fi- the former finance minister and obviously a, a uh, who was part of the Likud for, for many years, um, he had a great showing in the 2015 elections uh, where he was kingmaker there with, with 10 seats. Um, but he he lost a lot of his votes. Um, in 2015, he was able to kind of uh, tread between the right-left blocks and take votes from, from uh, a ton of Israelis, a lot of young Israelis um, on all sides of the political spectrum. Um, but in this election, he was really fighting for for really fighting to pass the threshold and just barely did. And most of his uh, voters come from the right wing uh, bloc. Uh, so I think he sees his uh, as the best step for his future political survival is to get back into the Likud, kind of wait around until the day after Netanyahu and try to position himself there. Um, so that's something that's being talked about. Yeah, he as as you said, he barely made it in. Uh, shifting the conversation over, though, for a moment from who made it in, uh, let's take a second to talk about who didn't. I think the big story out of this election uh, was the fact that Naftali Bennett and Ayelet Shaked and their new right party, uh, which was supposed to be uh, the new big thing on the right, they, they were supposed to be positioning themselves to take over the Likud party after Benjamin Netanyahu uh, is off the stage. Uh, they didn't make it past the threshold. What happens there? Uh, Naftali Bennett and, and Shaked, we've heard that they have sort of parted ways since the election. Um, and we saw a member of Knesset from Likud, David Bitan, uh, saying that uh, Netanyahu should appoint a Shaked from, from outside of the Knesset into a government ministry. Uh, what do you make of all that? What do you what do you think happens to Bennett and Shaked's political careers? Because they're both relatively young. They're they're both I think in their forties. Um, they they should have had decades of, of uh, political potential uh, ahead of them, and and yet they wound up outside of this uh, this next Knesset. 
Yeah, no, and so that was, I mean, they were very, very close. We're talking about uh, around thirteen to 1,400 votes. They finished with 3.22% of the popular vote, uh, 138,598 votes. And just to illustrate uh, the difference, uh, Ra'am Balad, uh, the, uh, the Islamist uh, party, uh, finished with 143,666 votes, and that's 3.33%. That, We're talking about very slim margins. That's, that's like if, if everyone who went to one of our uh, Israel Policy Forum Across the Divide events, uh, you know, where we get like 1,000 people, if they all voted for yeah, the new right... if you moved them over from Rambalad to Yamin Khadash, then... Then then they would have been in the Knesset. <laughs> that Yeah. <laughs> no, but we're talking about really slim margins. I mean, if you take even like an obscure party, um, like even Oren Khazan's party, which finished with 2,417 votes, which is 0.06% of the popular vote, if you move those votes to Sh- Bennett and Shaked, they'll comfortably be over the threshold. So it, it, it's really, really a slim margin. And interestingly, uh, about Oren Khazan, if he stayed in the Likud, uh, he would have been in the Knesset in the number is, thirty-five. See, is that is that true? I've heard people say that, but aren't he was he finished number thirty-five in the primaries? But then there are all the spots that Netanyahu gets to fill in as the head of the party, so he wouldn't have been. No, I think he was thirty-one in uh, okay. the prime, but he would have been bumped down to thirty-five. I believe it was thirty-five, but it's it's interesting to see his downfall. But back to Bennett and Shaked's downfall. Um, I think Ayel Chaked definitely will be back in politics uh, sooner than later. Um, I don't know if it's right uh, right away, uh, but she's uh, super popular um, in all the polls. She's more was more popular than Bennett. Um, uh, she seems ideal for today's Likud, like kind of the perfect uh, uh, Likud. Uh, Minister, I mean, if we're talking about uh, a party that doesn't have um, definitely not equal female re- uh, representation, um, but but th- they're lacking. I mean, Miri Regev, who obviously is Miri Regev, um, and there's Gila Gamliel, um, and you have Tsipi Chotobeli, but none of them uh, are viewed with, uh, at, at the same level as Ayala Chaked. So that's something that I would look out for. Uh, I think for Naftali it would be a bit more difficult. Um, he really pushed for this, uh, the, the break off from Habayta Yehudi uh, to form a new party. Um, he invested a lot in this. Um, it's going to be hard for him to come back, uh, especially in the near future. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount him uh, completely. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe he'll go back back to high tech or. Uh... Uh, yes, yeah. this is true. Or maybe he'll just invade Gaza on his own and destroy Hamas and then make an announcement and we'll find out about it. And if we hear about I'm that, and joking. if uh, Naftali Bennett invades Gaza by himself in a one-man army, we'll talk about it here on Israel Policy Pod. So, Eli, uh, thanks for the uh, for the insights from, from Israel. And we're going to continue 
watching uh, what happens in the coalition negotiations, and you'll continue to hear about it on uh, all of Israel Policy Forum's resources. Uh, we're keeping up our election resource, uh, the 120 Project, at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash elections. Yeah, and actually there you can see, uh, it is in Hebrew, but you can see a map of how uh, uh, different uh, neighborhoods uh, voted um, and we actually, uh, today was, uh, uh, tomorrow, the official, official results uh, will be announced, the final results, uh, but we've got in some of them today, and the change, the only change is uh, the Likud lost a seat uh, from 36 to 35, uh, and uh, United Toward Judaism got that seat up from 7 to 8, um, and it's an interesting point is that uh, because the Likud had an agreement with the United Right Wing Parties to place uh, Eli Ben-Dahan, a uh, uh, United Right Wing candidate, uh, in their list. Um, the Likud list in the Knesset will have 34 MKs. Kachol Levan will have 35. So this will mark the second time in history that the second uh, largest faction uh, will form the party. Uh, the first time was another Netanyahu government that was in in 2009, um, when they finished the seat behind Kadima, so a lot, uh, a lot to watch in the weeks ahead. They have uh, from from yesterday. They, I think they have technically 42 days, right? 28 days plus a possibility for a 14 day extension to build a coalition. And last time Netanyahu took it right up to the last uh, two hours before the deadline. So we're going to keep monitoring uh, what what goes on with the uh, Israeli coalition building and particularly uh, what is going on uh, in regards to discussion of annexation. And you can follow our annexation resource, uh, newly launched, our, our Annexation Watch project at www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash Annexation Watch. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Israel Policy Pod. Thank you.